Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. This week, I am super excited about our guest. We have Marissa Peer, named Britain's Best Therapist by Tatler Magazine. Marissa Peer has spent over three decades treating a client list that includes international superstars, CEOs, royalty, and Olympic athletes. She has helped thousands of people to overcome profound personal issues and has been voted best speaker at numerous conferences, including the Mastermind Group London, the Women in Business Super Conference, and many more. Her acclaimed Mastermind Your Life series focuses on the thought patterns and mental habits that can be detrimental or beneficial to our success depending on how we use them. When she reveals her fundamental rule that all our emotional and personal problems come from us believing that we're not enough and explains how to overcome it, the results are tremendous and dramatic. She's also a best-selling author of five books. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. This morning, I am super excited. We have Marissa Peer. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. It's an absolute honor to have you on the show. And we always love to start with asking the question to our woman of inspiration. What is your unique story? What inspired you to do what you do today? Do you know, I always think our story is always so interesting because we have a little idea we're going over there and the universe goes, no, no, you're not going over there at all. You're going over here. So when I was at school, I, I had an idea that I would work with children. I was always told I was a bit stupid, so I planned to be a nanny. But I had a wonderful grandmother who told me to aim higher. And then I decided I would train to be a child psychologist, but I didn't really enjoy that at all. And I completely left that, and I ended up leaving the north of England and working for Jane Fonda in Los Angeles, which was entirely different. And I was really exposed to how many women were bulimic, anorexic, body dysmorphic, and indeed exercise compulsive. And then by fluke, if you believe in that, I think the universe collides to make things happen. I found this amazing hypnotist and he taught me hypnotherapy. And I went back to Jane Fonda's studio and started working with all these girls with bulimia, which led me into becoming a full-time therapist, 
which I have just loved every minute of it. And from being a therapist in Hollywood, I ended up working on a lot of television shows as a therapist and writing books and becoming a speaker, which finally led me to start to, to finding creating my own method of therapy called RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. And now I teach people all over the world how to do what I do and do this amazing therapy that's so healing and so empowering. I didn't plan that, but that's how it planned out. And um, I just love it. Mm. So, Marisa, I'm curious, for and for myself, but for also, more importantly, for our listeners, talk us through what is rapid transformational therapy? Okay, let me try and summarize. When you when you do RTT, you take on different roles. We we train all our therapists to first become like the most incredible detective, gathering information and working out what is wrong with your client. Because they come in and go, well, I've all, you know I've always been insecure. I've never been good with attention. I've never been able to leave food. I've always had a nervous habit. And I go, no, 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 that can't be true. No baby is born insecure. In fact, the first thing that happened is you got attention. You can't make babies finish food. So we look at where did you really get this problem from? There's always somewhere where it started. So the detective part finds it. And then you become like a dentist and you extract all these toxic beliefs and toxic thoughts. Then you become like the best coder in the world and you code in and wire in and fire in an entirely new belief system. And it's it's quite extraordinary. I recently had a girl with narcolepsy, and she went back to the sort of being a little tiny kid where her mother said, you know, your brother nearly killed me. He kept me awake all night. I almost died. But you're the good girl. You're always sleeping. You're so good. And she said to all her friends, she's a good sleeper. She's the angel. He's the devil. And her little child mind of two began to believe, oh, you're good if you sleep all the time. And then she slept all the time. And you think that's so far-fetched. That can't be true. But then I worked with a girl who had hypersensitivity to UV rays and would burn. And she literally could not go out in daylight, only in the dark, even in the winter. And her life was miserable because she was trapped indoors. And when I was talking to her, she said, I got so bullied when I was a kid, but my mom was a single mom. And she said, look, you've got to go to school. Just suck it up. I can't help you. I said, what did you think? Should I long to stay home? I wished and longed that I could stay at home all the time. And I said, how often? She said, oh, every day. I wished and longed I could stay at home. And how amazing you've now got an illness where you can't leave the house. Because what our TT does so beautifully is find out that Simple things that we say, it will kill me if I get dumped. I couldn't cope with losing another baby. I'd die if I had another miscarriage. If if I have one more client like that, I'm going to throw myself under a bridge. We say these silly, silly things. I'm dying under the pressure. My workload is killing me. But our mind, which job is to keep us alive, listens. It'll kill you to get pregnant again. You think you're pregnant, you're 16, and it's a nightmare. Well, I'm picking up, you never want to have a baby. I'm picking up, you never want to leave the house. And then the mind does anything and indeed everything in its power to actually make that happen. What's even more extraordinary is two clients can have the same experience but interpret it differently And I found that when I worked with an anorexic girl who said that she saw her dad 
looking at porn, you know, graphically touching himself. He didn't know she was there. And she looked at him looking at these fully grown women and he was her princess. And she said, I thought to myself, I never, ever want him to look at me like that. I don't want any man to look at me like that. And she thought it. And when you get a scared child, it becomes an imprint. It goes in. I never want a man to look at my body like that. She stopped eating. She became anorexic. No man ever looked at her body with lust. But another girl in the audience said, that's so bizarre. Because I have exactly the same memory. My dad used to talk about mum and say, well, she's just a whore. Look at her in those tight clothes. And I thought, oh, my God, I couldn't stand it if my husband spoke about me like that. But I am a beast because I've thought the same thought but acted differently. And it's just fascinating how we don't understand that every word we say and the thoughts we think are blueprints. And the mind has no choice but to act upon the words you say. And you have to turn in. The strongest force in humans is that we have to act in a way that's consistent with our thinking. And if only we were taught, well, change your thinking. You know, your words shape your reality. Instead of saying, that's going to kill me. I'm going to get sick now because it's winter. I always get my sinus when the heating comes on. If I look at a cake, I get fat. If you say that, you actually make it real. And since that's true, say other things and make those real instead. So it's so it's interesting. As you were saying it, I'm thinking about once upon a time, affirmations were so big. And then there was this whole piece on affirmations don't always work, which is what you're saying. You're saying that mm. words shape our reality. So... In reality, affirmations are powerful if we believe them. It depends what the affirmation is. If your affirmation was every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better, your mind really hasn't got a clue what you're talking about. If your affirmation is the sun is always shining, your mind doesn't really understand because the sun isn't always shining. And even if it is, you can get sunburn. So if you want to make an affirmation, Here's something important. You have to use vivid, vital, detailed, relevant words that make a picture. So let's imagine you're going to speak on stage or ask your boss for a promotion or a raise and you start to go, oh, my God, I'm so terrified I can't say it. Or if you go in every day and every day it's better and better, your mind is confused. If you go, when I walk into that room, I know what to say. What I have to say makes so much sense. People listen to me. I make eye contact. They like me. My boss gets it. He's thrilled with my idea. He's so excited about implementing it in the company. Like I'm going on a date. Oh, my God, but what if they reject me and don't like me? It would kill me if another relationship went wrong like the last one. He ripped out my heart and jumped all over it and destroyed me. No, none of that happened. He got a bit bored. You probably were bored too if you'd stuck with somebody like that. So on a date, you go, I'm going to find someone who's going to fall in love with my soul. We're going to connect and get on so well, and I've got so much to offer, and I'm warm and vibrant and interesting and compelling and magnetic. And if you say those words, the mind goes, you know what? I know how to make you warm, compelling, and magnetic because that's such a descriptive word. But when you go, well, I'm just a nothingness. I mean, who's going to be interested in me? I've got cellulite. Your mind doesn't really understand. You've got to turn it on with very exciting words. Whatever you say comes true. 
If I look at a cake, I get fat. I can eat anything I like. My metabolic rate just burns it off. But I prefer really healthy food. When I go to the gym and I do these sit-ups, they immediately, my muscles start responding or whatever I do never works. I'm just destined to be fat and out of shape. So we don't understand how much choice we have in how we dialogue with ourselves. And if we did, we would dialogue so much better. So affirmations are good if you make them vivid, powerful, if they make a clear picture. But if they're like wishy-washy, today is a beautiful day, um, or I'm happy every minute of every day, I'm happy, happy, happy. It's just not detailed enough. The, the, the detail is so important. True. And I mean, obviously, you'd have to feel it. Apart from, um, obviously, you're speaking about pictures and that's when we're talking about our greater part of our mind our unconscious or subconscious some people use it subconscious unconscious that is how uh, it communicates is that right through pictures well the way you feel is down to everything the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself but some people are not visual but I think the words are more important than the pictures so you see if you say a word if I said now think about a black cat sitting on an orange cushion on a green lawn, you the words have made you see the picture. If I say, don't think of an orange snowman with an orange carrot stuck in his face, when you write, say that you have to see it. If I say, don't think of a big lion, um, you have to think of a big lion. So the words are actually more important than the pictures because the words create pictures. If you said, I'm terrified, I'm freaking out, I'm losing my mind, I'm going insane, this kid this newborn baby is driving me crazy you've made a very very vivid picture already and whenever you say this is going to kill me this is driving me crazy you make a picture without knowing you make a picture so for those who think they're not particularly visual it doesn't matter focus on the words I want I love this baby they're not going to be waking up all night forever this too will pass I love this five-year-old this this argumentative teenager, I love them. I'm so glad they can verbalize me. This will pass. My boss is difficult, but I can deal with that. It's a challenge, but I'm great at my job. So just keep making better words because the pictures follow the words. The words don't really follow the pictures. It's like if you imagine going to the fun festival, go, I'm terrified. I'm, or you can say, I'm excited. It, whatever word you say, you're, you, you're, body will follow that so if you said I'm terrified I'm, I'm dying of stress or I'm so nervous my stomach is is in somersaults or you said actually I'm so excited I've got a great opportunity here to meet someone amazing do something amazing you will respond to the words you say because excitement and fear the reaction is so similar you better choose to interpret it differently Oh, I love that. You know, it's, uh, it just reminds me, when we're talking about communication, there's the three ways that we communicate, which is through our body language, which is 55%, through our tone, 38%, and through our words, there's only 7%. But yeah. what you're describing is we're flipping that around. It's actually, and it does make sense with what you're saying, the pictures do follow the words. Always. And, of course, that what you're saying is absolutely, because I could say to my husband, oh, I hate you today. But really, what does that mean? I'm being silly. I could say, oh, you're so bad. or But that wouldn't upset me. I could go, God, I hate you. You're just so annoying. I wish I'd never married you. That would have a different effect. So 
our tone is very important, but when you use really exciting words, you can't help but take on a really exciting tone. And when you use what I call wishy-washy words, I'm all right, I'm not bad, it's okay, because those words don't excite your mind, they don't excite you. So if people say, how are you, all right, it's not the same as going, oh, I'm amazing, I'm phenomenal, I'm brilliant, I'm awesome, I'm just on fire. I'm just so in love with my life, my job, my kid, my, my whatever. So when you use vivid words, you automatically take on the vivid body language and the vivid expression. So you, what you're saying is actually correct, but you can do it the other way around. If you use powerful words, you'll get a powerful response. Even the words used in front of words. So I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the radio. Am oh, I allowed go to for swear? it. No, absolutely go for if it. If you say the word fuck, I'd have fucking amazing time it was fucking awesome it was freaking awesome it was bloody brilliant it was freaking amazing you have more an effect than going it was amazing so when you go god it was super amazing super duper bloody freaking amazing you can put words stack words in front of words and increase the impact of it but people don't go oh my god this this headache it's agony i've got this agonizing headache it's killing me Oh, I'm in so much pain. I think I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm completely shattered. I'm famished. I'm starving. None of which are true, by the way. None of us have ever been starving or famished. You could ever eat a horse. Yeah. And we're very rarely exhausted or shattered. We may be tired or dehydrated. So save those powerful words for the good stuff. And when you come to the negative stuff, I'm starving, hungry. Don't do this. I need to eat something healthy very soon. I'm feeling very tired. I need some sleep. But don't say I'm exhausted. I'm dying of stress. I'm completely shattered. I'm out of my mind with fatigue. You only want to say things to your mind that either are true or that you wish to be true. So elevate the things you want to be true and minimize the things that you don't want to be true. You know, as you're speaking, Marisa, I've got smirk on my face uh, because I'm thinking about my son and I, we used to play tricks on each other all the time and where he used to scare me. And I used to say, oh, you gave me a heart attack. And so as you're saying it, I mean, I need to change the way that I'm speaking as well, even those little uh, yeah. comments that I make. So if you're saying, I wish I was dead. You know, I, mm. I never say this expression, I'll do that if it kills me. I'll do that if it's the last thing I do. I say, I'll do that. And I never say, oh, my God, this is I'm losing my mind. I'm losing the will to live here. I've been on hold on this phone for an hour. I'm talking to this complete idiot. I've lost the will to live. I say, I'm losing interest in staying on this phone call. I'm losing interest in dialoguing anymore with somebody. But I never say I'm losing the word. I mean, in America, the guy, I've lost, I, I'm losing my shit. I go, I hope you're not. Uh, I'm <laughs> losing my shit. It's like, what, what a crazy thing to say. I just lost my shit. No, you didn't. I mean, you appear to be very normal. But we, we take on these terrible, terrible expressions, like saying to your kid, I love you so much, I could eat you. I mean, that doesn't sound very loving. We, we say crazy things and we don't understand that your subconscious mind is always switched on, always. It is always on record. It never runs out of batteries. It records everything and it remembers. So when you're 
five or you know I, I worked with a girl who had a terrible problem with being obese and couldn't lose weight and turned out that when she was 11 she'd come home from school she'd done that Britney Spears thing she tied her shirt up just under her breast didn't really have any she was 11 she hitched up her skirt but these boys surrounded her and really terrified her and tried to touch and she was very lucky she got away when she told her dad he goes well what do you expect look at you're a slut look at you dressed like that I mean you asked for it and from that moment she formed a belief oh it's my fault if men come on to me it's my fault they like me and then she made herself fat and unattractive because at 11 she had no coping skills an 11 year old can't cope with some grandfather or weird neighbor lusting after them and they say I don't, I don't want them to look at my body I've got to stop people looking at my body in the most effective ways to become obese or anorexic because no one lusts after your body then but we just don't know the power these words have on us and how children are so affected I mean I work with so many people with money blocks we'll go, how could you have a money block oh really what people have money blocks yes if if you watch your father taking medication every day and saying you know my job is killing me or this is the price you pay for running your own company there's no time off I get a headache all weekend because my business is driving me crazy the kid thinks I don't want one of those businesses I don't want that and then they wonder why they can't have a career and many people with money blocks hear parents say we can't find the money. What a bizarre thing to say to a child because no one goes, I'm going out today, I'm going to look on the ground and I'm going to find the money to pay my bills. Money doesn't grow on trees, it slips through my fingers, which is not true. So with a child, you should never say, I can't find the money, it just disappears. We, we can't get the money, you have to say, you want that toy? Okay, you have to earn 300 stars, and then when you've earned 300 stars, you'll get that toy. And even if they do ridiculous, they empty the dishwasher and they chip things and they clean the surface, and it's worse than when they say it doesn't matter, you're teaching them, you can go out and create the money for the stuff you want. And if you haven't got much money, you have to make them earn 500 stars, but they don't mind. It's exciting for them to think, oh, if I, I can do something that would generate the income to get the things I need. Yes, even when you're four years old. And so it's very important to tell children that not, I don't know where the money's coming from. We just can't find it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I'm hearing, um, so if we want more abundance, whether it's in wealth, health or love, we need to sort of find out what is that block in our imprinting phase and and trying yeah. to recall where does it so I guess where does it come from it could be parent yeah. parenting programming it could be stuff that we experienced at school or is this what you're saying we need to go yeah. deep do the deep work and how do we do that well you if you can do the imprinting work it's very useful you know how you do it is you know ask your sister your aunt anyone you know, what did my parents say about money? And, and if you can't, just before you go to bed at night, say to your mind, hey, remind me, what were my parents' key phrases about money? My dad used to say, fool and his money are easily parted. My dad 
was brought up in a different generation where they didn't waste when he'd run around and switch the heating off and it was always that's wasteful that's wasteful he he couldn't spend money on anything that wasn't essential and then I did that one day I was shopping with my friend in a store and we we're both buying tuna fish you know the single girl staple diet and I went to buy the cheapest one which is what my parents always did my whole life they were always looking in the bargain basement the reduced rail and I did that too and she'm like, oh, no, I've got to buy the most expensive one because it's better for my body. I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to switch my belief to your belief. And so first you identify the belief, then you ask yourself a question. Why do I believe that belief? Who told me that? Is it really true? Is it true that parade people don't like people who get that rich people have sold their soul to the devil, that good people shouldn't have money and bad people do? I don't have to believe that and then give yourself a different belief. You know, I was having a lunch once with my friend, her husband, my daughter. We all had mushroom risotto. I was sick. My daughter was sick. My friend was sick. Her husband said, I never get sick. My body would not dare to refuse any food I put in. I thought, what a fantastic belief that is. My body wouldn't dare to reject any food I give. I thought, I'm, I'm going to have that belief. And so I would say, like, I had a mother who go, oh, you know, I'm getting ill now. I went out with my hair wet or your sister came over and she had the flu or my niece was here with a cold. Now I'm going to get ill. And I'd say, mom, why don't you say I never get ill? I've got a phenomenal immune system. I can lie with my husband in bed with a cold. I don't get it because I go out and my immune system is so strong. So the imprinting is important. But if you can't find the imprint, just take a note of how you talk to yourself. What are the words you say all the time? And change them. I'm terrified. No, you're not terrified. You're slightly uncomfortable. This is this like my builder would come and they go, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. I go, no, it's not a nightmare. It's just a little challenge. And so a lot of people catastrophize. Oh, my God, it's all going wrong. It's a nightmare. It's a disaster. We're going to miss the train. Well, there's always another train. And you're probably not going to miss it. But stressing out about what's going on, my luggage has got lost. I mean, I, I went to Cuba, actually, and, and my luggage did get lost. And that was a very interesting week because you can't buy anything in Cuba. So my husband and I had to wear the same clothes every day. We'd swim in our shorts, lie in the sun, dry them, go to dinner in the same stuff. So it's actually one of the best holidays I ever had because I didn't wash anything, worry about what to wear. I had nothing, and it was so relaxing. I actually really, really enjoyed it. And after that, I learned to carry as little as possible when I travel because half the stuff I took I never used. Mm, I love that. And that really goes back to how we respond and react to every situation. Yeah. Mm. And we have a choice. That's the point. When you have a brilliant brain, and everyone listening to you have a brilliant brain, and here's the choice. Rationalize why you feel so bad. Or talk yourself out of it. I ate a cookie. I'm just a big fat loser. I might as well eat another 10. Or will I eat one cookie? You know, it's more important to put good stuff in than take bad stuff out. One cookie's fine. I'm going to eat really healthy for the rest of the day. And tomorrow I'll maybe start breakfast a little bit later. And I'll, I'll just burn that off. No baby goes, oh, my God, I ate a cookie. Let me run around the playground, punish myself, starve myself, beat myself up because I ate a cookie. But we're so hard on ourselves. And so take the choice, rationalize why it's all going wrong, or talk yourself out of it. 
can always talk yourself out of it. That's true, very true. So, Marissa, for those that are finding it hard to actually pinpoint the imprint, you do hypnotherapy, correct? I do, yeah. Yeah. So would that assist for someone uh, bring light to the those deep sort of limiting beliefs? Yeah. If you want to find someone who I trained who's amazing, and we have them all over the world, just go to rtt.com. And we've got so many people who are just so qualified at helping you. I always like to say, you know, your mind is like a Ferrari. And you're getting in a Ferrari with no lessons in how to drive a Ferrari. And you probably won't get the best out of that Ferrari. Probably take it into a tree, actually, or stall it. But if you had Ferrari driving lessons, you would that Ferrari would perform perfectly with you at the wheels. And your mind is like a Ferrari. And without a manual, it can be very hard to get the best out of it. Once you understand your mind and understand it works for you, you don't work for it. So there are many things that you can do to get that Ferrari-like mind to work for you. So if you go to marissapeer.com, we have completely free audios on wealth wiring, money blocks, relationship blocks, love blocks health blocks, success blocks. And what they do is they start to wire in and code in empowering beliefs while simultaneously extracting the negative ones. Even if you don't really know what those negative ones are, they will still find them, locate them, remove them, and then code in something way better for you. And they're all completely free. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so very much. So this is a form of, for our listeners and for myself, so this is a form of hypnotherapy that you take them through? Yeah, it's hypnotherapy. I love hypnotherapy. People think, oh, hypnosis is really scary, but it actually isn't. It it certainly doesn't send you to sleep, but it wakes you up to your possibilities. It unlocks your potential. And really all hypnosis is doing is reactivating and indeed, remanifesting the phenomenal confidence you were born with. No babies, as you know, I, I just can't get this yogurt in my mouth. It seems to be in my hand and again, I can't feed myself. I can't make it to the bathroom. We, they, they're amazingly programmed to succeed. That's why they never quit when they fall over or can't reach or are trying to stand up and walk. So it's not putting in something brand new. It's reactivating the phenomenal confidence and incredible self-belief that you were born with and we are all born with that some people say no but yes you are if you shove a baby in a cupboard it's going to cry for hours because it's beliefs that says someone is going to come and meet my needs and no baby just because i'm in a cupboard nobody wants me i just lie here they scream i mean i have a lovely friend called sammy shoebox who was found in a shoebox on a rubbish dump and they found him because he screamed for so many hours and then he was adopted by a lovely family and he goes back to the orphanage that initially raised him and raises money for all those children. But if he hadn't screamed at the top of his lungs for hours, he would have died in that shoebox, but he didn't. Wow, what a story. So I'm also curious, maybe talk us through hypnotherapy because there are some people out there that will uh, stay away from hypnotherapy because they've got this thing in their mind that, you know, you'll make me bark like a dog or act like yeah, a chicken. So maybe talk us through what is actually what do what is one to, ex, you know, expect from hypnotherapy? 
Okay, so when you go to see a great hypnotherapist, they can never make you do what you don't want to do. If they could, they'd all be millionaires because it'll say to you in hypnosis, shove another zero on the check or leave me your house in the will or I know you want to buy me some flowers, but actually I'd really like a Mercedes. You know, you could never say that to your clients. I've never said that to mine and I've got some who wouldn't even make a dent if they bought me a Mercedes, but they buy me flowers and Joe Malone candles. No one's ever bought me a Porsche, but if you could really do that, make people do what they don't want to do, there would be no struggling hypnotherapist, none who said, you know, I can't make enough money. I don't have enough clients. You make the client do what they want to do. Now, they may say, I don't want to give up donuts, but I do want to be slim. And so you help them make their mind love not eating donuts and prefer apples. But you can't make anyone do what they don't want to do. But you can show them how much better their life is doing what they want to do. And you know, it it it's it doesn't it's not scary. You're all you're not asleep. It's not a diminished state of awareness. It's a heightened state. You remember everything. You say, well, what about these stage symptoms then, where somebody fell in love with a broomstick? Well, one in ten people want to act out. It's the same person who has a drink and they dance on the table and take all their clothes off. Some people want a reason to be someone else. They usually become actors or performers. And that one in ten will go up on a stage show and do crazy. They know exactly what they're doing. And they'll say, well, I knew I was dancing around with a broomstick, but I, I somehow felt I wanted to follow the person's instructions. I said, I would never do that. I would never do it, Frank. I wouldn't go on stage and do that. But clinical hypnotherapy is totally different to stage hypnotherapy. People have this belief, what if I never come out of hypnosis? That's impossible. And it's impossible to make someone do what they don't want to do. It, it You have to work to get them to do what they do want to do. And then they have to listen to a recording every day for 10 days to wire that behavior in. So it takes a little work to get my clients to change. And if I have to work to get them to change, doing what they think they want, I couldn't get them to do what they don't want to do because they wouldn't do the work to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a guided meditation whether yeah. they do a guided meditation for 10 days to wire this new habit. But before you wire in the new habit, you have to remove the old one. That's the problem with a lot of affirmations and manifestations. That they're just, It's like you pulling up your weeds and going, well, they will come back. Why is that? Because you left the roots intact. You know, if you get a mower and mow off your leaves, weeds and then plant in flowers, the weeds will come back because you left the roots in. So you do have to get stuff out at root level. And for some people, it's very deeply seated and they don't even know why they have these fears. But then when you can show them, where, like, for instance, with fertility, I work with so many women with secondary infertility, unexplained, and they always go back to the same thing. I'm 15. I think I'm pregnant. My dad will kill me. My mom will kill herself. Oh, my God, it'll be so embarrassing. Or people who, when they have the first baby, go, I could never go through that again. It would kill me. Or they say, oh, can you imagine having two? They go, no, I'd die if I had another one, keeping me up all night. And and so we, we're telling our mind, I don't want that. But we don't even remember we said it. Just after you've delivered a baby, you have no memory that you said to your husband, if I had another one, I'd run away. 
or you thought, oh my God, if I had two, I don't know how people cope with that. It's a nightmare. It's driving me insane having one. So you have to go back and uncover what you said. And when you can uncover it, everything changes. But there are other times when you can just understand. So let me give you the best example of all. 200 years ago, we died more of hunger than disease or war. Hunger was a killer. And our primitive brain has a belief that hunger is so scary I could die. And that's why, you know, we've got a lunch date. We've got food in our locker. We're in a meeting that's going on and we can't get to that food for another hour. And suddenly we start eating mainlining the cookies in the bowl or eating the candy or the jellies because we think, oh, my God, I'm starving. So you don't have to go back to where you felt that. You just have to say to your mind, okay, I understand. My need to survive makes me scared of hunger. And so even though I'm an hour away from my house and I've got a lovely chicken in the fridge, I'm eating taco chips like a mad person because I'm scared of hunger. Yes. Now I'm going to say to my mind, you know what, mind? I am choosing to wait for an hour to get home. I am hungry, but I can deal with this hunger for an hour. I want to wait till I get home and make the right food choices. I'm choosing not to do this. And if you say that, your mind goes, oh, I understand. Your words are so clear. You would rather wait because one hour is not going to make any difference. No one dies of hunger in an hour. And I was doing that yesterday. I went out for a meeting. I really wanted a lovely um, cappuccino with almond milk. They only had cow's milk. I don't drink that. I was like, you know what? I really want a coffee. But I said, well, I'll wait. In 90 minutes, I'll leave here. I'll go to Bulletproof. I'll get my favorite coffee. And then I was able to drink this mint tea, which wasn't anything like as exciting as a cappuccino with oat milk. But I could tell my mind I wanted to wait. Once upon a time, I could never have done that. I would have put anything in my mouth because I didn't understand the psychology of being unable to wait, the psychology that when you see food, you want to eat it, which is why you should not open your fridge and see all your kids' candy bars. You should put them in the salad drawer in a container where you don't see them and then you won't eat them. That's what my mother did. She locked all of our chocolates and candy uh, from us so that we didn't, um, um, you know, overindulge. So the way that makes you want it more, or were you okay with that? Um, no, I think you know it's really it's funny. We were just talking about this last night with my husband and I. I um, I do that. I'll hide. Uh, for example, I do have a sweet tooth and. Um, I love licorice, but if I buy licorice, which is, you know, ad hoc, um, I'll hide it in the car so I do not get tempted to have it. Yeah. And sometimes I, I even forget that good. I've got it. I do that too. I find stuff. And, yeah, because that's another primitive driver that evolutionary terms made you succeed. When you saw food, you ate it. If the hunters came home with a deer, you wouldn't go, I don't fancy deer today. You had to eat food when it was in front of you. Because that's how you lived. If you said, I'm not hungry, you might not get any food for three more days. So humans are wired to the minute they see food, they want to eat. It's why you sit down in a restaurant, I'm not hungry. And then think, oh, my God, I'm so hungry now. You start to eat all the bread basket. We're wired to be scared of hunger. We're wired to go back to sugar and keep going back till it's all gone because we didn't get it very often. So we were, we're wired to binge on fruit or honey. 
We're not wired to binge on lettuce or celery because that's always around. And once you understand the psychology of your money blocks, your love blocks, your health blocks, your eating blocks, or the belief that my dad loved when he left and it just destroyed me and I couldn't go through that again, then you understand, oh, I can tell my mind a different story. I found love. It was the wrong person. I'm going to find amazing love. Yeah, I do when I see food, eat it. And then all I have to do is don't go to all-you-can-eat buffets and keep going back. Don't have dishes of candy in front of the TV because no alcoholic says I have a bottle of wine on the table and I never drink it. They understand I can't have that in front of me because that might make me want it. When you understand your psychology and work with it, it really does change your entire life. And it's such a wonderful thing to do. Mm. One of the things I do hear um, a lot, and especially with women, when we're talking about money blocks, there's this whole self-worth thing that's associated to it. For example, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show, and for uh, it could be as simple as uh, pricing up their services. So what would yeah. be a money block around that? Well, if the, the money blocks are always the same. People won't like you if you have more money than them. You'll make people feel bad. You're greedy if you ask for more. Men don't like successful women. If you have more money than your husband, how's he going to feel admired by you? He's going to run off with someone who's got less. Um, if you're a successful woman, you won't see your kids and you won't be a good enough mother. And, you know, women are very tough and ambitious. And, it, you know, all of this is not true. But it, it's such a shame we've been brought up with that belief that I want doesn't get, don't ask. But in the Bible it says, ask and you'll be given. Mm. And if you're starting a business, don't talk about the money. Talk about the purchase is, your investment is, your investment in this product is X. Um, so, you know, for instance, I have clients who go, well, I, I eat burgers and fries because that's $10, but the salad is $15. I said, yes, but you have to see it as an investment in you. If you eat junk food, then you'll spend all that money you're saving on medication and your skin will look awful. You'll have indigestion. So see spending more money on better food as an investment. And then they go, oh, I'm investing in my health. I'm going to spend $15 and not 10 We like the word investment. So, But when we start to talk about the cost is, the price is, the fee, the purchase, the investment is much better. But the biggest thing of all is to decide you are worth it. You know, everything you buy without exception is because of how it makes you feel. That's why we buy designer products. And we know the designer cream is probably no better than non-designer cream or the designer lipstick is no better than a generic one. But our belief that it's better makes us feel good. And so if you've got something to sell, and it may be you, a service, if your product can make people feel good, they will buy it. You know, I just bought a Dyson hairdryer. It's like $500. It's so amazing. I bought another one because the voltage in the UK and America is different. I always travel between the two. And it makes my hair look so good. It's worth every penny. All my friends are going, this is just like amazing. Who would have thought? And so people will spend more if something makes them feel good. 
And so it doesn't matter what that something is. It could be a personal development. It could be coaching. It could be a product. But if it makes people feel good, they'll buy it. Like, you know, I, I, I always buy um, eggs that aren't caged because I think, well, that's, I don't want to buy eggs from a little chicken that's kept in a cage. So I buy free-range eggs and organic eggs, and they don't cost that much more. But I feel good about doing that. You know, I, I would eat lamb, but I wouldn't eat a foal because the picture in my head is that I can't eat a baby horse. But weirdly enough, I eat baby cow. I don't eat meat very much. I eat baby lamb. But it's the picture, you know, nobody will eat a baby cat or a puppy or a kitten, but they'll eat a piglet. Mm-hmm. And so, so it true. sounds completely weird, but it's the pictures you make in your head. And, you know, I don't drink milk. So why don't I drink milk? It comes from a cow. So it comes from a gorilla as well. And I don't drink that either. I don't drink Alsatian milk or gorilla milk or cow's milk because it's not designed for humans. If I was going to drink milk, gorilla milk would be better for me than cow's milk. But the picture is wrong. And so for everything you want, make the picture right. Make the picture of being a successful woman with an amazing company right. And then think how many other women will be inspired by you. And if you want wealth, you need to do a couple of things. One is to believe you're worth it. That's so important. I'm worth it. I deserve it. Second is think of all the people that would benefit by you having money. Would you do some pro bono work? Would you sponsor a kid in Africa? Would you suddenly employ a cleaner so that you've given someone else a job? If the more people would be helped by you having wealth, the more you can have it. So those two things are what I'm worth it and it's going to do some good. But the third thing, and this is very important, programs like The Secret make us believe, I just I just manifest, I just sit at home and manifest being a millionaire. You actually do have to go out and work quite hard and work harder. It's a bit like writing a book. Writing a book is easy, but promoting that book, getting it into a bestseller, that takes more time than ever writing a book, and you've got to put those hours in. You know, I know John Gray very well, and every day he worked on making Men are from Mars, women big. He worked every day. He spent way more time promoting that book than writing, as I did. And so you have to be prepared to work hard, to come back from rejection, because the best plan on earth won't work if you don't. But if you have that hard work ethic, not all the time, but just when you're building it and the belief that you're worth it and the awareness that other people will benefit from me having wealth, if you have those three things, you can be unstoppable. And people who have wealth always have those three things. They never go, well, I shouldn't ask for that money. They go, no, I'm worth it. I deserve it. I spent ages doing this. It, I'm worth it. And, and other people are benefiting. But they also put in the hours. So you've got to do all three. And if you do that, you can be phenomenal. Mm, and I, I absolutely love going back to what you were talking about, making the investment. Because uh, you hear that quite often. People will say, I won't purchase organic food because it's too expensive. Yet they'll go to a McDonald's because it only costs them $10 for a meal. But they don't look at the long term what that would do to their health. So. Yeah, and then they spend all that money on gastric banding mm. or liposuction or diet pills. You know, I've worked with so many clients who all the money they save by eating junk, they spend on diet pills, diet clubs, diet products, um, surgery, which costs a huge amount of money. So, yeah, 
you got to see it. It's an investment. It's like going to bed at the right time and getting up, going to the gym. These are all investments. You know, without your health, you have nothing. Mm, so true. Absolutely. So I'm curious, if we go back to what you were saying, that first we have to remove the old one. So whether it's a, you know, a belief system, a change, uh, I mean, a pattern or a habit, um, you're saying that the way that we do this is by listening to our language, all those common statements yeah. that we are constantly making. And this is how we heal our unconscious or subconscious mind. Is that correct? Yeah. Or you just ask someone else, hey, you know, you're my best friend. So, for instance, I worked with a supermodel and I noticed she used the word terrified. Or you go, oh, my God, I got this new um, sponge. I'm terrified. Oh, I was on a plane and this guy talked to her. I was terrified. And I said, you know, you're not terrified. That's not terrifying. Stop saying getting a sponsorship name with Lancome or Rimmel or Mac is terrifying. Tell yourself this is someone else's fantasy dream come true because she used that word all the time. And because she used that word so much, she lived on her nerves. So ask your friend, what do I always say? Like my little girl came home and she said, Mommy, how does Philippa get on the ceiling? I'm like, I don't know. She said, no, but I need to know. And I said, what do you mean? And, of course, my friend Philippa would go, if you do that, I will go up the wall. I'll go up the wall if you make them, I'll go up the wall if you leave your crayons on the sofa. And of course, she used that word so much. And my daughter was dying to see her go up the wall and land on the ceiling because she thought she could do that. Because we, we actually use the same words over and over again until someone points out, do you know how much you say? This is killing me. You know, one of my clients used to sign every day, busy, 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 wish I was dead. And that was a joke. It was his email sign-off. And he got cancer and died in 10 days. People say, well, that couldn't be. But, you know, if you write every day, busy, busy, wish I was dead, I want to run away. This is killing me. You're giving yourself a really negative message. So actually the best way I ever saw this is when I worked with someone who'd been sectioned in a mental home. And her word was, I can't cope. Her mother had hypersensitivity to noise. She couldn't even cope with a packet of potato chips being opened. She couldn't cope with supermarkets or swimming pools or light or noise. She was sensitive to everything. And she, her mother's word was, I can't cope. Now I've got this client. She can't cope with period pain. She can't cope with the car backfiring in the street. She can't cope with sound. She can't take her kids to the cinema or even a kid's party. I said, you know, I want you to stop saying, I'm going to give you a new word. What is it? It's a sentence. I have phenomenal coping skills. You must say that every day, every hour, relentlessly. I want you to put it on your screensaver, put it on your phone, write it on your fridge. And when you get bored with that, say, I have extraordinary coping skills. I have exemplary coping skills. I have amazing coping skills. She had the fastest dis discharge rate from this clinic ever. And the whole clinic said, well, we've actually now we've got these posters on the walls and we get everyone to say, I have phenomenal coping skills. Because imagine that my kids have just spilt Ribena all over the carpet. The cat's been sick. I've got five phone calls and I've got a headache. I can't cope. Or I have phenomenal coping skills. I can deal with this because nothing has to change. The cat's still been sick. The Ribena is still on the carpet, but you if you believe you have phenomenal coping skills, you cope with it. And so just changing her word from I can't cope 
I can't cope to I have extraordinary phenomenal coping skills changed her entire life. And that it really is that simple. So if you use one word, I'm stressed out, I'm at my maximum bandwidth, I'm losing the plot, and you change that to I have amazing coping skills, you're sending an entirely different message to your mind because your body is run by a network of intelligence which is influenced by you, the words you say and the thoughts you think. And if you change those, it changes everything. You know, I always say to everyone I work with, you make your beliefs, but then your beliefs make you. And then the universe seems to make your beliefs real. And so if you don't like what's coming back at you, change your beliefs. They are, after all, yours to change. So true. I'm just listening to uh, what you're saying. So it's really simple, isn't it? First of all, we've got to identify um, whatever whatever this block is. You remove the old one and then you can reprogram your subconscious mind or unconscious mind through language. Yeah, through language, through pictures and words. Mm. There is nothing as the way you feel about everything is the pictures you make, the words you say. If you change those. It would change your entire life. What are your thoughts about self-hypnosis? Oh, I love self-hypnosis. I mean, self-hypnosis is really, you know, how you die. When I was having a baby, having been told all my life, you'll never get pregnant. Well, if you do, it's a miracle. But, you know, that baby, you're never going to carry it to full term. It's going to have everything wrong with it. I hypnotized myself every day and spoke to my baby, said, I love you. I want you, and I told my body, grow a perfect baby. You grow that baby. That's your job, to create another person. And then when, when it was time to give birth, I told my body to birth her easily and beautifully, and it did. And I used self-hypnosis throughout my pregnancy and delivery. You know, I, I had, um, I, I would say, a severe illness, which required surgery. I don't really refer to it a lot because there's no point. But I told my body, listen, you are a wellness-making machine. I'm not interested in illness, but I'm very interested in wellness. And I had surgery, and I went home the next day because I knew that getting into my own bed in my own house and watching TV, I was doing wellness, not illness. And, and I, I didn't take any of the medication they gave me. I said, listen, I'm in discomfort, but I'm not in pain. I don't need all those drugs. And I'd always say to my body, your job is to do wellness, make me better. I want to stay on this lovely planet for years and years and years. And I would code my body to do wellness. And it, it very rarely does illness because I tell it what I want so clearly that there's no room for misinterpretation. If you say, God, I'm so stressed, what well, I'd give for a week in bed, you'll get the flu because you said I want a week in bed lying around. If you say, I'm dreading, oh, my God, I'm dreading that meeting next week, you'll get diarrhea the day of the meeting because you said you didn't want to go. But if you say, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to show everyone what I can do. And you know, it's a tough meeting, but it's an hour of my life. And by Wednesday at 10, it will all be over, and I'll be back in my office um, drinking a cup of tea and wondering why I haven't made such a big deal about. So tell your mind different things, and you will definitely get different results. So self-hypnosis really is just, once again, going back to almost like an affirmation, but with the words, the pictures, and the feeling. Yeah. 
Well, you put yourself in a state, so you roll up your eyes. And if you go to marissapeer.com and take these audios, you'll, you'll find out. It's very self-explanatory. But if you want to do self-hypnosis at home, get in a comfortable position, look up. You must keep your eyeballs up and then close the lid down. That's the position they go into when you sleep. And you want to get into an alpha brainwave where you're very relaxed. And then a theta brainwave where your mind lets in words and then... You say to yourself, stuff, it must be in the present tense. It must, you, it must, you can't say next year I'll have a bikini body. Next year I'll have a lovely boyfriend. Next year I'll be happy. It has to be now. This minute today I'm attracting love. I'm becoming super healthy. My metabolic rate is increasing. I'm drawing love to me like a magnet. So get yourself in the relaxed state and then tell yourself powerful things. The only downside with self-hypnosis is if you want to go really deep, you're trying to use the same mind to go deep as has to give you the instructions. So it's better in that case to buy the hypnotic um, download and listen to that because you can go deep while it codes in all the good stuff. And we have lots of hypnosis, audios, and meditations. We give lots away free, and you'll find them all at marissapeer.com. Thank you so very much. So, Marissa, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you? Empowerment. Mm. RTT empowers everyone in every possible way. Love it. And the other thing, last question, is uh, what are three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? So, it could be like three practical exercises for our audience. Yeah. Okay, first of all, tell yourself every day that you are enough. Write it on your mirrors, put it on your fridge in magnets, put it on your phone alerts, put it on your screensaver, incorporate safely and securely into your password so you have to type it, read it, write it, say it every day. It will change your life because the common denominator of all our issues tend to come from I'm not enough. So tell yourself you're enough. Tell yourself that you're never going to die from rejection. We're, we're hardwired as a species to know that we survive on the planet by finding connection and avoiding rejection, which would have killed us once. It doesn't now. So don't fear rejection. Keep saying nobody can reject me unless I give them permission, which I'm never going to do. And do not let in destructive criticism. You're never going to get away from critics. But you don't have to let in their words. They're their words, not yours. The most important words you will ever hear are the words you say to yourself. So if you wake up every day and go, I'm enough, I love myself, I matter, I'm significant, I've got something amazing to offer the world. If you start every day with those words, you will dramatically increase your self-esteem. And self-esteem means how you feel about you. If you have children, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to get them to go, I matter, I'm lovable, I'm significant, I'm enough, I've got something to offer the world. Because if we all did that, bullying would practically cease to exist because bullies feel bad about them. They feel that they're not enough. They don't matter. So the way to boost your self-esteem, put I'm enough into your life, Tell yourself these great statements of truth, which are more than affirmations, and don't let anyone else make you feel bad about yourself. For them to do that, you've got to believe everything they say, and you have a choice not to do that. 
Mm, I love that. I really do resonate with that, that we are enough. And it's true. We always seek of the things that we need to add to of course. Our, um, our character or our life rather than just accepting that you're enough just the way that you are. Okay, I have to run because okay. I've got an Marisa, thank you up. so very much for your time, your energy. Where's the best place for our listeners to find you? Um, rtt.com or marissapeer.com or indeed iaminough.com. We have a product, I'm Enough, that you can take on a trial basis. But rtt.com, marissapeer.com and I'm Enough.com. Great. Thank you so very much for your time, your yes, energy so and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. See you soon. Take thank care. You. you too. Bye. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Katherineplano.com. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.